welcome you to Doxodeo Hatfield, a multi-ethnic family on mission, passionate about Jesus, passionate about community, and passionate about serving the city of Chwane. Headfield, so let's open up our Bibles together, if that's all right. And I want to say that on Friday, uh, obviously we can't repeat that because it was a bit of a monologue and worship experience that we went through as we started this theme of what does it mean to have the good news of the gospel? Jesus, the through line of his life was not good morals or teaching or example. It was this one thing, good news. And why is it good news? Often I think Christians, especially people outside of the Christian faith, can think this one little sliver of what good news is. I've got one of the colors maybe of the spill spectrum. That is what I hold on to. It's just a ticket to heaven, or I can just feel better, or it's a crutch for people that are weak, or something like that. So I have this very deficient view of who and what Jesus is. And on Friday, we said through this experience that we had together, what would it look like to look at the good news of Jesus in the full color spectrum of what the good news is. Now, like I said, we can't, there's even no recording because it's a bit of an abstract thing, but just to quickly run through these key statements that we had for each of these colors representing these different shades of the good news, go through that with me. Gold representing the creation intent of God. We said the good news is that God has created us, you and me, with love and care and purpose. Your life is not meaningless or random. But then the black representing something of the fallenness of humankind, the rebellion, the sin, the brokenness, death. And we said the good news is that, yes, even though we have broken our relationship with God, even though we are filled with guilt and shame and pain, this is not the end of the story, according to the Bible. Red, yes, uh, is that uh, it speaks of Jesus and his sacrifice, loving sacrifice on the cross. And it says the good news is that you could never fix yourself. You can never break free from sin or be freed from the oppression of the enemy, but that Jesus has come to do all of that and more by his loving sacrifice on the cross. White speaks of the fact that we are not simply, it's this new identity that we receive from Christ. We are not simply better and more religious people in Jesus, but we are a new creation, the Bible says. Something more fundamental than just picking up religion has taken place. Green speaks about the fact that there is this growth that now happens through the grace of God. It's not your efforts. It's not you being a good person. It's something of the grace of God that continually washes over us. The good news is that your life is now defined, redefined, we could say, by God's grace and no longer by your performance or your history. And then finally, blue speaks about the fact that we are not simply now tasked to go and do and, and try and be and just strive. No, God says, I'm even going to give you my very presence and spirit to empower, renew, and lead you. So the good news is that God's very presence and power and voice now lives within you to lead, comfort, console, and love you. And there's so much more, friends. We could have added a hundred extra shades of colors because the good news keeps on going into the new creation, into, into the image of God, into who we are, what life is meant to be. And all of this comes from, as we started on Friday, saying it is because of the death, but then also what? 
the resurrection. Friends, we have to realize that it's the resurrection of Jesus that makes all the difference. That's what makes all the difference. You know, we all have these moments in our childhood that really define us, that mark us, sometimes not for the good. I remember a moment like this when my grandfather, who we are namesake of each other, and when he passed away, my parents took all of us with when all the brothers and sisters had to make plans now. And I'll never forget just the door being like a screech open and me just catching a glimpse of my grandfather, now dead in his bed, passed away during the night. And that picture, man, it so scarred me, seeing my grandfather so full of life. We had such a great relationship, seeing him with his mouth open, just lying there, just still lifeless, cold. Something in my heart that day just said to me that death is so unnatural. Something about death is unjust. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus, through his life, death, and teaching, he not only agrees with the fact that death is unnatural, it's a tragedy we see in John uh, you know, 11, that when he sees his friend dying, he weeps. Not only that, but in this sacrificial act on the cross and his victorious resurrection, he comes to bring an end to what Paul calls in 1 Corinthians 15, the final enemy. The final enemy who is death. Jesus says, I come to break even the final enemy. It should not be. It will not be. So friends, it's not an overstatement to say that if not for the resurrection of Jesus, there would be no point to Christianity. It would have no relevance. Jesus would literally just be another good teacher, another good man, someone who is inspirational. But without that, there is no Christian faith. He has an inspirational life, but new life asks for the resurrection. He is risen indeed. And so for 20 centuries now, billions of people have greeted each other on this Sunday with what we call the Paschal greeting. He is risen, and you respond by saying, he is risen indeed. And can I just say this? This is for free. I was just thinking of this just yesterday. I'm listening to two probably of the most sharp and brilliant scholars on history at the moment when it comes to New Testament studies. And they're going back and forth. The one man is an atheist. He is a sharp man, studied under Bruce Metzger, and he's going back to back with this Christian scholar. And they are speaking about the fact that you can go any which way with historical studies on Jesus, but there are six facts about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that Muslim, atheist, Buddhist, agnostic scholar all over the world, you know, take any of the, the, the top-level universities in the world, German, American, French, English, doesn't matter, African, you can go, and these six facts no one will argue with. That Jesus lived, who he was, that he died, that his followers absolutely believed to the point of death that they saw him once again. And that a faith unlike Islam where the sword and war and hundreds of thousands of people are left over to now push this empire forward. Jesus had nothing. <laughs> he was a risen man with a handful of uneducated peasants. And suddenly this movement skyrockets to become the biggest religion in the world. How do you wrestle with these facts? And here's the point, friends. Historical faith says, I agree with the facts. But saving faith says, I believe in Christ. Yes, that Christ died and was resurrected, that's something you need to wrestle with. But saving faith says, Christ in me. That's why today it makes all the difference. That's why I can say, friends, Resurrection Sunday, He is risen. He's risen. Indeed, Lachai. Yeah? The resurrection changes everything. Matthew 28, the angel told the woman, don't be afraid. 
as she's at the tomb because I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified, but he is not here. Again, think about this. Every religion has a holy site, but there is no grave for Jesus. Why? <laughs> because there's no one there. There's no one there. He says he has risen just as he said. Friends, that speaks of trust. You don't have to trust the system. You don't have to trust the religion. You don't have to trust the good people. Don't trust the people. Don't trust me, please. But you can trust this man. You can trust in Jesus. You know, the first time I ever went abseiling, it was at a bachelor's party, which already should tell you that's, that's <laughs> dangerous. But I'll never forget having to go over this cliff face. It's the first time I've ever done this. And I want to almost hug, you know, the, the rock because it feels so weird. You have to lie back into basically nothingness. But if you don't do it that way, you're actually in danger. So this instructor keeps telling me, no, Joe, you have to put your full weight into this harness. Otherwise, it won't work. I'm like, but this is like so counterintuitive. It feels like death. But if I don't lean into it, it will be death. So he says, no, lean your full weight into it. You can trust the system. Friends, I want to say if you do a trust fall into like good hands of colleagues and friends and family members, there's a level of trust. If you have to lean fully into and harness, there's, there's a level of trust. But Jesus says, you can trust me even beyond death. You can fall fully into me. I will be there because I have gone before you. I've not just taught and shown I've not just inspired, I have been to the very edge and beyond of death, and I have come out again. He's risen. Friends, it changes everything. So it means that our past, our present, and our future, it is dealt with. It is secure in Him. It means your past, if you are in Christ, is dealt with once and for all. Romans 4.25 says, He was delivered up for our trespasses, but raised for our justification. Yes, I can die a heroic death for you, but it, it takes God saying it is a finished work on your behalf to say now just as if no brokenness, no sin, no death, no enemy, no rebellion, no nothing, you have been raised with Christ. Your past is the past of Christ. There's nothing you can share here today in the, in the midst of these people that will make God go, oh no, like I didn't know that. I was looking for good, secure, religious, moral people. No, my friend. He's looking for people willing to admit, I need this Jesus. My past is dealt with, but my present is secure in God. 1 Corinthians 15 says, if Christ has not been raised, share the scripture the other day, your faith is worthless. Are you like that? What faith is willing to say? World religion is willing to say, give me the one fact that would nullify your faith. Paul says, I'll give it to you. If Christ is not raised, Christianity is nothing. If Jesus is dead, Christianity is dead. But if Jesus is alive, Christianity is life. Our present is secure, not because of my performance or what I can do, my faithful attendance. No, it's in Jesus. But my future, friends, it's also said. It's not just my past, not just my present. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, who've passed away. Because just as in Adam... 22, it says, so also in Christ, all will be made alive. We're not going to a floaty heaven place with babies and angels. He says it's going to be a more real creation than we have now. It's more tangible, more practical, more human-like. I am not going to take you to heaven. I'm going to bring heaven here. 
And he says, you will be raised bodily to a more body-like resurrection, friends. Jesus did not appear as an apparition or a ghost. He was alive. He was there eating breakfast with them. There's a bodily resurrection and a new life waiting. Guys, our sins are forgiven. Our relationship with God is restored. Our future is set. Our calling is regained. The enemy's effect on us has been nullified. The sting of death has been removed. The love of God will forever be with us. We join to this eternal family. We'll never be alone. What we do will have an unending effect for his glory. He's risen. He's risen indeed. And now the question is, with all that good news in full color spectrum, so what now? <laughs> so what now? Seriously. It's Sunday. Man, it's time to celebrate. But what about tomorrow? What about not just the question, yes, Christ in full color in me. But what about Christ through me? What would that mean? What would life in full color actually look like? And I was debating where to go for this just for a couple of minutes today, but I realized you can go anywhere in the New Testament because that's what the New Testament is. This is the fact. So now what? How do I live in light of what Jesus has done? So I want to take you to the book of Colossians. Maybe unorthodox for Resurrection Sunday, but that's all right. Colossians chapter 3 in your New Testament and Paul, the Apostle Paul, a man radically transformed by Jesus, he writes to a church that he's never collectively actually visited. He's never met most of these people in person because he's in jail. And this message has so now just soared amongst the, the early church and the people of the, of the Mediterranean that people are now starting these Jesus communities. By the hundreds and then thousands and then hundreds and thousands, they are starting to say, with a pagan, Jewish, whatever my background, I'm going to worship this man, Jesus, as God. And he hears about this beautiful community in the city of Colossae. And he says he's hearing the most passionate worship and city transformation coming from these people because of faith. But he also hears that there's another gospel that people are trying to work into the church. Jesus plus some religion. Jesus plus some mysticism. Jesus plus some good works. Jesus plus some Jewish customs. And so he's writing to this church to speak to them about this one thing. The whole book of Colossians is making this one point. It's Christ in you. It's Christ in me. But as he's now trying to take them to the place, if that is true, it's not what you've done. It's what he has done for you and in you. He's now trying to lead them to the place of saying, it can't just be the grace of God in you. There's something more. So he opens his letter, Colossians 1-2, by saying, grace to you, and peace from God our Father. But he closes the letter with this, Colossians 4, 18. Now grace be with you. It's not just the grace of God in you, because Monday's waiting, friends. Now it's grace with you. Yes, full color spectrum gospel in my heart, but what would that full color spectrum look like through my life? What would it mean if everything in my life were to be redefined, if this weekend was less about the eggs and more about Jesus? What would that mean? Nothing could ever be the same again, friends. C.S. Lewis says that. He, he can be a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. You need to take your pick. But he can't just be a good man. Either he's Lord, or you ignore him as a lunatic, or he lied. But either that, or he has to redefine everything about your life. And Paul is asking, what would that look like? So as he signs off, we're going to look at the final bit of signing off in this letter today to see, because now he wants to inspire them. So just to give a bit of context, let me illustrate. I think most people, especially if you're an introvert like me, we struggle more with a goodbye than a hello. Have you seen that? 
Like goodbyes can be awkward. Hellos, if you just train yourself enough, it's pretty simple, but goodbyes can be incredibly difficult. So whether it's over the phone, I've got a friend like this, some people, and some of you guys maybe are those people, when they realize they have what they need in a conversation, they literally end that conversation like that. Have you get friends like that? There's one friend of mine, he's like, okay, I got it, anyway, bye. And I'm like, okay, bye, I guess, cheers, anyway. Other people have got the opposite issue. Again, maybe some of you guys are like that. You never know when you're supposed to finally say goodbye because they always have like an extra thing they add to the last sentence. Have you seen that? You're like, never sure. Like, when should we put down? So this person would be like, oh, okay, no, thank you so much, you know. And then he's like, okay, shot. So enjoy your weekend and, and, and blessings to your family. And, you know, and I really appreciate the help and, you know, and, and sleep well. So, and you're like, okay, bye, 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 bye. <laughs> you don't know when to say bye. Or in person, man, that's where the awkwardness can really get you. Who's had the horror of trying to give someone a high five, but they wanted to give you a hug? Have you seen that? Yeah, horrific. Lord, help us. On this weekend, resurrection power for those hugs slash high fives. Or you're at the mall, you had like a coffee with someone, and now you're like getting up together, and it's like, oh, you know, life-changing, thank you, guy, and you're like hug and high five and everything. Cheers, man, we'll see each other again. And you start walking in the same direction. Have you seen that? Like, oh, you also this. Oh, okay, cool, yeah. And now it's like this awkward silence. You're kind of walking together like, I kind of thought it was done, but now I guess we need to like, hey, so the mall, all right, cool, you know. Goodbyes, friends. You learn so much about a person and how they say goodbye. And Paul says, I'm going to leave you with one final thing. In a whole letter about Christ in me, listen to the statement that he ends with. Colossians 3, 23. So, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord, for Jesus, for the King, and not for people. Knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord, you serve the Lord Christ. Friends, he says, yes, grace in you, full color spectrum, good news in you, Christ in you, but now full color life through you. Everything changes. Not just my Sunday routine. He says, everything changes. Whatever you do. Let me make that joke again. You know what the Greek for whatever is? It's whatever. It's like deep Bible study. I've spent hours on that word. And it literally means whatever, whatever you do, it's for this risen king. If he is risen indeed, everything must be different. So what is Paul saying? Jason mentioned it. He's saying, imagine now your life is suddenly in the orbits of it completely redefined. Where the orbits of your life, the planets, the moons of your life called sexuality and finances and relationships and parenting and career and how I speak about the country and how I tackle just, you know, relationships with neighbors and friends. All those planets now are revolving around the sun called Jesus. It can't just be I added a planet called religion to my sun that is basically money. Or the son that is basically status. The son that is basically proving my parents wrong. The son that is basically having a comfortable life. No. If the son has not become Jesus and the planets are now realigned, he's not risen. He's saying, now let everything that you do, can you imagine with me a life where the son takes your work, your sexuality, finances, relationships, parenting, desires, dreams, your future. And it says, now he's at the center. Whatever you do. And so Paul is going to use examples. He's not going to be prescriptive. 
Yes, he can't, friends. How can you write a book that will dictate life for hundreds and thousands of years to come with every single scenario thought about? It's impossible. So he's not going to be prescriptive. This is exactly how you should live out this full spectrum life. He's going to say, let me rather do something different. I am going to stir your thoughts. I'm going to let your full color spectrum gospel juices get them flowing. Imagine with me is what he's saying. Imagine a life with me. I can't give you every scenario, but I want you to imagine with me what it could be like. Imagine this, now imagine it for you. And what he's saying is imagine what your life would look like if you allow Jesus to become the very center of it. Imagine what you, friend, what your family and work and your city and your church could look like if Jesus is not just working in you, but he's now working through you. If the risen Christ is not just a historical reality, but it's an everyday reality for every part of your life. How would that challenge you? How would it comfort you? How would it rearrange you? How would it redirect you? I love one of the Bibles that we read to our kids. It's by Sally Lloyd-Jones, and she has this brilliant thought. She says, the kingdom of God is any place where God is served as king. Don't you love that? Like, where is the kingdom of God? It's wherever he has served as king. Imagine your life redefined by the risen king. So I'm going to just give us, with a couple of minutes, just three of these examples that he mentions. Again, this is not prescriptive, it's descriptive. He's saying, let's just think, just imagine. We've spoken about that in the past. J.D. Vance, that guy who was the, the VP for Disney, shared the story so many times, and they're standing, and they, they're looking over the nearly complete Disney world. And, uh, you know, one of these execs, they're standing there, they can't imagine this. No one has ever attempted a project like this in history and he says to this Vance guy, he says, you know, I, I so wish Walt, Walt Disney could see this. He had passed away. I so wish you could see this. And he says to him, he did see it. That's why it's here. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, imagine. Imagine with me. Imagine what your life could look like if he becomes the center. So let's take three of his examples. Just imagine with me today. Christ in me in full color in my work, Paul says. What about it in my work? So I'll just read for you. You can just listen. Colossians 3, 22. He says, Slaves, obey your masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people please us, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly since you know that you have a master in heaven. Now, I'm not going to go into this today because I've done this in depth in our First Peter series, but I want to just, as we get triggered by words like slave and master, just once again say, friends, this is not what we think it is. Almost a third of the whole population of the Roman world were bond servants like this. In fact, you had very professional people like accountants and masons, even doctors, would put themselves in the place of bond servanthood so that they can get out of debt, so that they can care for their family. So this is not the 1700s Arabian and Western slave trade. This is something very different. I'm not saying it's good, and that's why you see the New Testament shoving people away with kingdom culture to the place where Christians globally start abolishing the slave trade. But Paul is dealing with the realities of where they find people, not what we want, what we wish we had, where we are. Do you know that our church is like that? You don't have the leader that you wish you had, you have me. We don't have the church that we wish we had, we have one another, friends, amen? Paul is saying, I'm writing to the people that we have. And he's saying to them, this is what you need to understand. So the closest parallel we have to this kind of relationship is employer-employee. This is the kind of life that you and I live in today. 
And how often is it that we view, we say, man, Sunday, resurrection Sunday, woo! And then tomorrow morning, it's just another Monday. And I'm back to the sacred secular split. On Sunday, I'm celebrating, I'm a champion. On Monday, I'm a functional atheist. What would that mean to actually say, no, what about Monday to Saturday being the playing field for my faith? Yes, Sunday, reestablish, stir, you know, come and, come and reaffirm the fact that Christ is in me, but tomorrow morning, Christ now through me. Not just full-color spectrum church of the gospel, but full-color spectrum of the gospel in life. How often, friends, and I say this to myself, do we view our vocation or our work through the eyes of the world? Not through the eyes of God, where it's just a paycheck to earn. It's just a bunch of colleagues to either be frustrated by <laughs> or to sidestep. Or it's just this necessary evil from 8 to 5 so that I can get to the good stuff over the weekend again. But here is what I love C.S. Lewis, so famously at the Socratic Club of Oxford. He says, this is how you should see Christianity. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it... I see everything else. If Jesus is risen, don't confuse now sun and sun, same word here. But if he is risen like the sun, I don't just see the sun itself, I see everything by the sun. Mondays can never look the same again. Because I see Christianity like that. It is now shining a different light on every aspect of my faith. The reason I do my work the, the level of excellence with which I do my work, the redemptive calling of my work, the ethical standards of my work, what the work that I do can now contribute to the kingdom of God in this city. Friends, let's not wait for the government or NPOs or business sector, or whoever it is. It's the church taking up the mantle from Monday to Saturday saying, we are the people of God. Christ not just in us, and now we're waiting for heaven. No, Christ through us. A hospital, do you know, go and do your own research on the history of hospitals. You know where it comes from? It's a Christian invention. <laughs> because people were not so heavenly minded that they were useless on earth. It's because of their faith that they said, we need to care for the people of our city. And the modern hospital was born from Christianity. Every Ivy League university in the world was started by Christians. Go and look at the vision statement of Harvard University. Go and look at the vision statement of Oxford University. All of these places and so many other of these institutions were Christians, saying not just church on Sunday, but church Monday to Saturday. What if I saw every part of my life differently? I can never see that colleague the same way again. I can never see this accepted practice in my, in my field the same again. Yes, everyone does it this way, but you have a risen king that you serve now. What would that look like? It's like God is saying, imagine with me. Imagine if in the house that is your life, you gave me the room that is your vocation or your work. Give it to me fully. Don't say I'm leaving some of my life behind. God, give me the room that is your work, your vocation. Give it to me fully. Whether you're a student, whether you're in high school, whether you're working, whether you're a business owner, whether you're a poet, programmer, painter, pediatrician, plumber, what would it mean to have Jesus be the one that everything revolves around? If I step into tomorrow morning, untouched by today, he's not risen. But Paul says, imagine with me, just secondly, just imagine Christ in me in full color, not just in my work, but what about in my family? 
And now he's stirring. I can even see some of the some of the spouses already looking at one another. He says here in verse 18, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. And it's so beautiful because the New Testament always keeps on flipping these things around so that no one has the upper hand. Then it'll say, you know what? Uh, You know, moms, dads, make sure that you're not exasperating your kids. But kids, don't do that to your parents. He's saying, husbands, submit to your wives as your wives submit to you. Love your wife as your husband loves you. It's always coming back to the same thing. There's mutual submission and love, mutual love. Why? Because if this is how Christ has entered into my life, I cannot walk into my house in the same way. I cannot be that father who's so full of, you know, Bible under the arm on a Sunday, hands raised, but at home I'm a terror to my kids. I'm not saying this is where God finds you. I'm saying this is his path for you. Over the decades of your life, he wants full color to emerge from you. You're not going to do this in your own strength. This is his will. This is who he is. He loves taking someone like me and over decades of life, bringing more and more and more color of who he is from me. Imagine what your life would look like. This picture is used to describe the love that Jesus has for us more than any other thing in the New Testament. It's sacrificial love. And from that comes love, respect, joy in a household. Friends, I was thinking about this a couple of years ago. We had uh, one of our kids' birthdays. And can I just say, man, that day, I was an absolute royal jerk. The whole day. I was walking around like this entitled king. I was frustrated. I was irritable. I was just a sad sack of a human being. (laughs) And it's my kid's birthday. And that evening, I'm just packing our dishwasher, and as I'm just standing there, I just experience, literally just in my mind, the Holy Spirit just starts speaking to me. And He just says, listen, where my spirit is, there is joy, there is forgiveness, there is grace, there's hope. There's an atmosphere that is different from the world. And it almost felt like He was saying to me, give me this room of your life, Joe. Take the white knuckle grip that you have on your emotions, on who you are, what you're entitled to, how you want things to be. Just let it go. Let me have it. Let me make you the kind of father that brings my spirit, my atmosphere into your house because it's my house before it's your house. What would it mean if I looked at my family, my marriage, my friendships, my kids, my singleness? What would it mean if I said, this is untouchable, my sexuality, the church can speak about anything but not that. Just going to speak about, you know, loving the poor, but not my money. But Jesus says, no, if he's risen, his blood is going to seep into every part of your life. His spirit is going to come and redeem every part of your life. He's going to come and challenge every part of your life. Finally, he says, just imagine Christ in me in full color, not just in my work, not just in my family, but what about in my church? This is how Paul ends. And in Colossians 4, verse 7 to 14, he has not actually been to this church collectively, but he's met some of these individuals. And friends, just listen, in our culture, where church is something you attend, in our city, we have mostly CEO Christians. Heard that one? Christmas and Easter only. So many CEO Christians, right? Because church is a building I attend every now and then to soothe my conscience. Whereas listen to how Paul speaks about and that's, that was me, guys, I'm just saying, for most of my life. So, no judgment, but Jesus comes and changes that. Because listen to how he speaks about these people. 
he mentions them by name, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Epaphras, all these guys, and he says this. He commends them, and he says, faithful and dearly loved brothers, my co-workers for the kingdom of God, they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, he is always wrestling for you in his prayers. So that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything that is God's will. I testify about him that he works hard for you. Friends, these guys mentioned are not pastors. They're not evangelists. They're not full-time paid by the church. They are doctors. They're painters, plumbers, programmers in the church like you. But Paul says these guys look at their church and they don't say it's someone else's responsibility. They say it's fine. These are my people. He says, guys like you, you maybe you're in the finances sector, you're in teaching, maybe you're a a stay-at-home mom, and what he's saying is, I want to commend you because you are wrestling in prayer for this church. You are serving this church with your time, treasures, and talents. You walk into this church in fellowship, and you say, I take ownership of this community and this city. I don't attend church, I am the church. I don't come to a building, we are the building of the church. I always think of Fifi from Lesotho. Shay knows her. When we were still in Doxedo Bloom, we worked mostly with students and young adults in our evening service. And I'll never forget, we had a community group like we have for every, basically, season of our lives. And we had to multiply this group, so we had this big meal this evening to say, let's celebrate what God has done. Let's have expectation for what he's going to do in these new groups. And this Fifi, she was a final year student from Lesotho, and she stood up as we just gave moments to say, you know, what's been impactful for you in the season in a community group on a Wednesday evening? And she said, guys, I'm just going to tell you this. For the first four years of my life at the University of the Free State, I hated life here. I wanted to go back home because those are my people. But I have to study here. I have to contend with this culture. I have to be here. And then I got into the church. And for the last 18 months, almost two years of my life, I want to tell you that I've never so radically had my life and my faith changed by these people. They're not perfect, but she said this. You know what's happened to me? I wanted to always go home over the holidays because those are my people. Guess what? These have become my people. Friends, that's the church. Imagine what your life looked like if I took myself as the son out of the picture and I said, now, maybe Jesus should be the center. Maybe the way that I think about church and the people, maybe if people are struggling in this church, don't wait for me to do something about that. You do something about that. If you see people here today standing up after the service, go straight to one of them and say, listen, we're having coffee at our place right afterwards. Come with us. Can I just tell you again, this is now for free and my time is done, but just hear the story. Good friends of ours, Kyle and Sarita, they moved from Doxa Bloom to the, to the Cape um, for work, and he says, they, they visit churches, and they're trying to slot in, and this one church, he says, the worship sucks, the preaching's average, the building's falling apart, like, it's really not, the, it's like nothing that you want as a consumer of church is working, but he says, at the end of that service, this elder couple gets up in front of them, they turn around, they greet them, and they say, listen, I've got my birthday party coming up this Saturday, won't you come with it, and he's like, I've, I've never met you before, like, okay, I guess, It's like that introvert, you're like so caught by the extroverts, you can't do anything, you're just like a deer in headlights, like, okay, I'll come. The most beautiful friendship emerges from that, where Cape Town becomes home for them spiritually, not because of a building or because of worship or because of preaching, but because of the people taking ownership of one another's lives. Imagine 
church in full spectrum of the gospel. Friends, I just finish off by saying, his resurrection changed everything. It changed everything. But the question is, has it changed you? Because here's what it says in John 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. And everyone who, will, who lives and believes in me will never die. But here's the question. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Friends, because history attests to it, the church has bled for it. Billions have given themselves over to it, and the world has been reshaped around it. But the question is, do you believe it? He is risen. He's risen indeed. Let's stand together. I want to encourage us this morning. We're going to finish off our service by using communion together. And as is our practice in many parts of the world, over Easter, you can have hard cross-binds, friends. That is just the gospel. Somewhere in a translation, I'm sure in the message, you're going to find hard cross-binds at the Last Supper, I'm sure. And we have a substitute for the juice. We have grapes. It's like wine in seed form. Because today, we want to make the statement, it's not about us, friends. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Him. It's about what He's done. It's about His body and His blood for you, but tomorrow through you. So what I'm going to ask of us is, as we just pray and take this moment, can no one be alone in this moment? Can we be a church this morning? And just in threes and fours, grab your hot cross bun, grab your grapes, sounds weird to say, um, and let's stand together and just celebrate. Just maybe share one thing that you say, man, Jesus in me, in my life at the moment. Man, I'm so thankful for this. And then just pray together. Can we do that? So come and help yourself in the front here. It's all on one side of the building, so we'll have to be patient. But come and grab hot cross bun. Come and grab some grapes. Let's stand together and pray, and let's celebrate that He is risen. He's risen indeed. Let's do it.